righteous and I am wicked. That's how he responds. But this is again false repentance. People always say, well, how do you know if it's true repentance? I would say that true repentance is hating it enough to quit. See, Pharaoh is suffering from the, it's wrong because I'm caught. I just want to get out of it syndrome. And real heartfelt godly sorrow unto repentance is hating enough never to go back. He just wants the plague to end. He really doesn't want to be a transformed human being. God's commandments provide safety, a sort of spiritual security net. When we ignore them or defy them, we can suffer. That's exactly what happens with Pharaoh and the people who choose to ignore God's warning about the coming plagues. But those who listen, who hear, and are obedient, they remain protected. Not only will He protect you, but the Father will bless you as well. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continued study entitled, The Plagues. We began in Exodus 7, verse 14, and I'm going to be finishing this up, this section. And we've been seeing these, what is a progressive series of 10 Plagues. So if you've been traveling with us, we've been explaining a lot of the details. Remember, these 10 plagues come in three sets of three. So the first three plagues, and then four through six, and then seven to nine. And then the 10th plague is the ultimate plague, which ultimately leads to the deliverance of the children of Israel. If you recall that in these cycles of three, the first plague is given with um, in the morning with a warning to Pharaoh. The second in the series happens in the palace, and then the third one happens with no warning. So now, tonight, as we pick up in chapter 9 at verse 13, we're going to be seeing these last three in the series. Now, as I've said many times here, and I'm going to say it again, when we see God's judgment on Pharaoh, and by extension, Egypt, it's so easy in our hearts to say, well, why would God do that? And that's not a bad question. I don't think that's a dishonest question. But we have to keep the text in its context. As you've heard me say here before, I'll say it again. When you take a text out of its context, what do you have left? A con. I know you guys like saying pretext. And that's not bad, but think about context. Take the word text out of it. What do you have left? A con. So you need to think about the Bible in context, in its greater biblical context and in its immediate context. So Pharaoh, if Pharaoh would have just let God's people go, and don't forget this all began with the Pharaoh oppressing the people strongly and having them expose their sons to death. This is where this all began. And so when Moses came to Pharaoh, said, listen, Pharaoh, let God's people go that they may worship him. If Pharaoh would have just said, okay, I'm going to stop being a mean, vindictive, power-greedy ruler, then none of this would have happened. So this, these judgments are not arbitrary. They are rightly meted out based on the judgment that Pharaoh used. 
So it's real easy when you read this, like, well, why would God do that? Well, look at what Pharaoh's doing. And Pharaoh is receiving the just due for what he's done. And that's why oftentimes I talk to people like, well, why would I want to worship a God who would condemn somebody to hell? And that's an honest question. I get to share the gospel all the time. I like people. So I'm out in public. You start talking to someone before you know it. Things, you know, and I also have the added bonus. They say, well, what do you do for a living? And I would say, you really want to know? I just want to make sure that they're okay with what they're going to hear, you know? And I say, I'm a pastor. And oh, you know, what kind of church? A oh, Christian church. Oh, um, you know, and then eventually it always comes around. Well, why would I want to worship a God who would condemn somebody to hell? I'm like, well, because that would be a perfect God would do that. A perfect God will give somebody the just reward for what they've done. And I'm like, but the problem is, is that all people fall short. The greatest people who have ever lived fall way short. And I'm like, so we all stand in the condemned place. And then, of course, they say, oh, well, you know, why would you believe that? I'm like, well, just let me ask you a few questions. And you run, you know, you run through the questions with them. Did you ever lie about anything? Well, yeah, okay. Did you ever steal from anybody? Oh, no, no, no. You mean you never took a couple stamps from your job? You never just, like, cheated on your taxes a little bit? Someone says, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, so do you ever be inordinately attracted to someone of the opposite sex? Lust? No. Well, Jesus said if you lust, you've committed adultery. Do you ever say I hate you to anybody? I mean, you were a teenager, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know? And I'm like, well, Jesus said if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. So I've asked you four questions. We found out that you're a lying, stealing, adulterer who's a murderer. And I'm like, that just took us about three minutes. We can keep going. So the reality is, is all people stand condemned. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful, because we were in rebellion and God sent his son. Because we were already condemned. And God said, look, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to receive the punishment that you deserve. That's the gospel. And that's why I'm so blessed by the gospel. Because when I read about Pharaoh, I'm like, I'm Pharaoh. And we're all Pharaoh on a certain level. We rebel against God. We don't do what we know we ought to do. We don't do what God asks us to do. And we deserve judgment, but instead we get grace. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. So we have to remember that as we see what's going on here, because Pharaoh did not have to have this happen. He chose it. And whatever the the just do for our actions are, God is not to blame. We are to blame. And we live in a culture that blame shifts. And what's interesting is since the beginning of mankind, everybody blame shifts. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember that a year ago when we were in Genesis chapter 3? When God spoke to Adam about eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, who did Adam blame? Eve. Who did Eve blame? The serpent. There was no one left, so the serpent was stuck with the hot potato. But everybody blame shifts. I wouldn't be this way except for you. And you see it in our, in our political climate right now, in our economic climate. Everybody wants to blame somebody else. So God in his perfections gives us the just due for the, the things that we deserve. And that's why God's grace is so powerful. Because we got the just due. The only difference is, is Jesus got it in our place. He stood in our place. And God gave Jesus our punishment, and God gave us Jesus' righteousness. 
And that is why the gospel is the most intellectually fulfilling, existentially phenomenal experience. It fits so perfectly if you spend time dwelling on it. So when we see God standing in the judge's seat, we have to realize this is part of his perfections, but Pharaoh chose this. If Pharaoh would have made a different decision along the way, it would not have gone this way. But Pharaoh made his decision, and God honored that decision. He said, okay. And really, that's not what God does for all of us. God says, you can either do my will, or I'll let your will be done. And that's kind of the way God rolls. You can either do my will, or we'll let your will be done. But our will ends up being, for the most part, a train wreck. So let's jump into the seventh plague. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart, and on your servants, and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose... I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may may be declared in all the earth as yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man and on every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh's made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses." But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So notice this. Now, we've been saying all along, each one of these plagues goes against a a commonly worshipped Egyptian god. So the plague of hail, of course, goes against Nut. That was his name, or her name, the sky goddess. Or Osiris was the god of crops and fertility, and the god Set was the god of storms. So this plague of hail that's going to come is going against a commonly worshipped. Now, it's interesting. He goes to Pharaoh in the morning. God's request is the same always. Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. We've made the point each time we've heard it. I'll make it again. God delivers us that we may serve him. God doesn't deliver us that we may serve ourselves. He delivers us so that we may be his voluntary servants. The Bible calls that the bond servant. Now, it's interesting. Do you notice that the Lord here explains to him that all this is happening, and I'm going to show you who I am. God is revealing himself in and through the circumstances of Pharaoh's life. And when you think about the issues in our life, God is revealing himself in it. You think about the disciples when they're in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember Jesus was taking a nap in the boat and the disciples are freaking out and they wake him up. Lord, don't you realize we're perishing? And Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves stop. And the men, the disciples were fearful. What did they learn in the storm? They learned that they were faithless and who God was. So in the midst of our situations, we often learn what is in us and who this God is. If we're willing to receive such information. 
I don't know how often, I think the common lesson that I learn is that I'm pretty skittish and faithless. And simultaneously, that God is absolutely strong and a rock and totally faithful. But no matter how many times I learn it, what? My circumstances keep teaching it to me. And so he's saying to Pharaoh, listen, all these things are happening. I'm showing you my power. And what's interesting about this plague here, if you notice, he tells them exactly what's going to happen. And he says, look, get all your servants and get all your livestock in from the field. Bring them into the house and they'll be fine. So it's interesting that God even gives them a warning that, hey, if you do this, it'll be, it'll be well. And this section ends here with those who feared the word of the Lord, their servants and their livestock didn't die. And those who didn't fear the Lord left them out and their servants and livestock were killed by this plague of hail. Now you notice that. If we're obedient, blessings will follow. If we choose not to trust God's word, then issues happen. And that's important for us. People always say, well, how do I know what God's will is? Well, we know that the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. You can never go wrong with that. When you're stuck with a situation, you know, say, well, am I loving God and am I loving people? But if you choose not to respect and fear God's word, calamity will ensue. And it's interesting that this whole process, it's not only about setting the children of Israel free, it's also about God revealing who he is. And the Egyptians are starting to learn. They're starting to see this God of the Hebrews is not someone to mess around with. If they would have feared his word, then they would have been blessed. If they not, they suffered loss. So look at what happens in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail. So very heavy that there was none like in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder shall will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck for the barley was in its head and the flax was in its bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses." 
So the plague of hell comes. Now, don't miss in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, in the seventh trumpet judgment, and then again in Revelation 16, 21, the seventh bowl judgment, once again you have a plague of hell. So you can imagine in an agrarian society, this is not like, we've, we've seen some hail here and there are these little, you know, little ice balls. This is not that type of hail. This is a huge, this is like seeing bowling balls. And I mean, you can imagine if you ever drop a bowling ball on your foot, you know how that feels. It only went, you know, for me, it's about three feet. Maybe for some of you, it's a little bit farther. And it hurts, right? You break a foot. Now imagine that thing coming from the sky. So we're not talking about these little itty-bitty. We're talking about a serious plague of hell. And so as this is happening, of course, this is a, a terrible thing that's going on. And so, of course, as this starts happening, notice it says with fire coming down. That's a Hebraism, an early Hebraism for lightning. That's what it means. These are storms with hail. And it's interesting. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron again. He calls for them again. And it's amazing because Pharaoh is Moses and Aaron's arch enemy, but yet he's saying, will you guys pray for me and treat the Lord? I have sinned. He says, the Lord is righteous and I am wicked. That's how he responds. But this is, again, false repentance. People always say, well, how do you know if it's true repentance? I would say that true repentance is hating it enough to quit. See, Pharaoh is suffering from the, it's wrong because I'm caught. I just want to get out of it syndrome. And real heartfelt godly sorrow unto repentance is hating enough never to go back. He just wants the plague to end. He really doesn't want to be a transformed human being. And so he just simply says, pray, I'm wicked. And it's interesting. Moses says, I will do it in verse 29. Once again, when I've gone out of the city, I will do it. It will all stop. But notice in verse 30, he says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. See, Moses realized that Pharaoh's heart is not there. He's like, look, I'm going to pray for you, even though I know you really don't fear God. And brothers and sisters, listen. That's the way we ought to pray. We should not pray for people once their heart gets soft. We should pray for them while their heart's still hard. We shouldn't withhold our love and prayers from people because they're not there yet. And why should we not do this? Because of the gospel. God did not wait for our hearts to get soft. He just sent Jesus. God did not wait for us to be repentant. His spirit started to pursue us. How, I'm sure there's people in here right now listening online maybe listening on our app, where you're not, you haven't bowed the knee to the Lord yet, but God is pursuing you. And God is doing good by you and loving you and drawing you. And there's people around you who are praying for you because they care about you. Nobody, nobody gets grace because they deserve it. Ever. Not on the day you get saved, not 50 years into following Jesus. We don't get God's blessings because we deserve it. We've never deserved it. And that's why God's people are always humble. Because the longer you walk closely with Jesus, the more you realize, I never deserved this anyway. Even after 50 years, yeah, I don't do things that I used to do. But man, like John Steinbeck has said, that the layers of a human heart are like an onion. There's always another layer and they always come with tears. And that, isn't that how we are? Certain things get worked out of our life, and there's a whole new garden of weeds. 
And you go and you get them all out and, and it takes time and it's nasty and you're dirty and then a whole new set of things pop up and it never ends. And that's the way God designed it. God designed it that way. But Pharaoh, he just wants it to stop. And it makes me think about James chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, just Pharaoh proclaiming his wickedness. It says this, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. We've talked about that a lot here as we look at Pharaoh, about dragging our sins into the light, about being able to confess them, own them, let people pray for you. That's exactly what Moses is doing. He's functioning in a priestly capacity with Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh's heart is still hard, as we see there. Now, we move to the eighth plague, chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt." And my signs, which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have ever seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord, their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you go and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you, not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, locusts, again, the god of the crops. All the crops are going to get destroyed, so Osiris. Now, notice this. First, in the first two verses... What God is doing is going to function as a testimony for successive generations. Notice what it says. And you will tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. Jesus is Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here, and I'm excited and humbled that you're listening to Jesus is Real Radio. When I was first approached about starting a radio ministry, it was kind of a humbling and terrifying experience. 
But people keep telling me, they say, Pastor Daniel, Jesus is Real is a special program. There's something so personal about it. There's something so street level about it. You're not afraid to explore both how messy life is and who Jesus really is and what he's up to in the world today. And as we started the program, we're seeing Jesus is Real Radio expand at a very rapid pace. There's not a week that doesn't go by that we're not approached by different radio programs and television programs say, we want to put Jesus is Real on. But listen, we need your help in order to do that. We believe that God wants us to bring Jesus is Real global. We want everyone in the entire earth to hear the message that Jesus is Real. Now listen, in order for us to do that, we would need your help. Jesus is Real Radio is an outreach ministry of Crossroads Community Church, the wonderful church that I get the privilege of being a pastor at in Vancouver, Washington. And the body of Crossroads sees the radio ministry as an extension of our mission's effort. So join us in reaching the world with this message. Here's Josh with some information about how you can get further involved. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Yes, we encourage you to pray about getting involved with the ministry here at Jesus is Real Radio with a one-time gift or perhaps even monthly support. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option to begin supporting Jesus is Real Radio. And please join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.